I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Gary and I'm from Nebworth. And you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. Uh, My question is, uh, who's better, Jamie Vardy or Harry Kane? Well, here comes the show. And remember to question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast with myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello. Pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... Everything from... Um, uh, where, where's it gone? <laughs> no, it is um, Gary's Gary from Nebworth's question, who is better, Jamie Vardy or Harry Kane? Uh, football-based for you there, Dane. Mm, I mean... Neither of those people play for Arsenal, so who cares, Howard? Who cares? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, I would say, um, well, that's a tough one. I'm not really like to compare, but I guess I am probably more uh, ensconced with Jamie Vardy's rise from non-league football to league. Oh, it's a great league story. League. It's a great story. So it's like a nice little football difference story. That being said, you know, Harry Kane seems like a great guy as well. So yeah. I guess, you know, you can have two strikers up front, Gary. Don't have to choose all the time. Doesn't always have to be mm. a singularity. But as with this show every week, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely, and no question is too stupid or too small. So if you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's largest podcast network. If you want to see the best and most diverse guests on any podcast anywhere in the world. That being said, today's very special guest is a radio and TV presenter, writer and true crime vlogger. For the last few years, her infectious energy has been delighting listeners on the airwaves of Capital Extra. Her TED Talk, The Myth of Escaping a Ghetto, helped her continued rise as an engaging public speaker. Her first two documentaries were the much-heralded Love, Lies and Nudes and Music is the Answer. And her new documentary, Damiola, The Boy Next Door, is available to watch on Channel 4 in late 2020, very soon. Please welcome to the show the multi-talented, multifaceted Yinka Bokini. What's up, Yinka? You are the first person to ever say my name correctly. You pronounce it yeah. like... Yeah! Look, look how surprised you are! <laughs> Listen, you think Dane would be an easy thing, Yinka. One syllable, yeah? Struggled. Dave. Do people call me right. Danny? Danny. Uber drivers always call me Danny. Is for Danny? And I just go, yeah. No sure. actual thing, but I get Danny from Uber drivers, but mainly it was like, Dave... Dwayne, Dale, Dean, Shane, Shale. It's got to now. I just, I just call myself Bikini because it makes people. It's, it's, it's just what I say. I say Yinka Bikini, but Bokini is how my dad pronounces our name. So you hit it on the on the head there. There you go. There you go. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we, we, we do try to emphasize. I that. think people are lazy, aren't they? No, the people are lazy, and they look at your surname, and obviously it has uh, some similarity with the word Bikini, mm-hmm. and therefore they just can't be bothered to actually look at the fact that there's a an O which massively changes. Uh, and there's a double N, right? Uh, so it just changes a few bits, doesn't it? Yeah, and I also, it's one of those ones as well, though, that, like, 
You know, I'm Yoruba, Nigerian, and our names are spelled phonetically. Just say the letters. Super phonetically. Guys. That's what makes it even crazier. They're so fun- they're so I'm my ancestrally I'm Igbo. So I'm still trying to work that out. But um yeah, it's really not as in the workout as in like in terms of like the more nuanced aspects of uh yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. But um yeah, man, I, I always try the best with the names. And if I got it wrong, I hope you'd say to me, that's not how you say it then. Like, oh, so, go again. Exactly. But how, how have you been? Not just for this month. Um, how's life so far? If you could take a snapshot, how's it going? Yeah, you know, it's actually going really well. I know 2020, I think everybody who's been on your podcast probably said it's been a rough year and all that, that malarkey. For me, it's, you know, I was shielding for such a long time. And now whilst working a little bit, it's very, very busy. It's it's good. And obviously I'm very grateful to be able to function uh, in a world that's on fire. But um, yeah, it's really busy because I do breakfast at Capital Electra in it. So I get up at like 4.30 every day. This is basically midnight for me. Mm. Oh yeah, that's true. It's true. Shout out to Shana as well. Mm-hmm. Also thanks for having me on the show. But you know, I, th- I think it's cool you say as well, because I guess the one way of rationalizing what's happening right now for us is that we've had a relative amount of privilege to a lot of people in the world whereby this is a madness for us. Yeah. Like if you've been in Syria for the last 10 years or, you know, the Middle East, if I asked you how your year was and I was like, yeah, I couldn't really go out for a couple of months because they had to deliver the food to my house because I couldn't really go. Yeah. They're going to be like, oh, that sounds tough. You deliver instead than having a knife and fork in a restaurant. So. No, that's true. And it's, it's, yeah, it's like, you know, whilst it has been definitely tumultuous, it's a, it's a privileged tumultuous. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, I mean, you have to, you have to find it, innit? You have to find it. I, I, I always say to people as well, it's like, you know, even when we, uh, a pine on something which is obviously a lot clear now in terms of uh, Black Lives Matter as a humanitarian protest. It's like, trust me, it's bad. But the first, you know, civil rights was never easy. There's no, like, if you were to ask people that did this in the beginning, much more difficult. So, and they've been doing it for twenty years. There years. you go. So it's been it's a long time. Yeah. So you know, if you're finding a way to thrive within this environment, that's supposed to be what the human spirit is supposed to do anyway. So, business as usual, Yinka. You know how you do. Um, so, so th- th- today's episode is going to be a bit different, uh, listeners, because we're going to do one of our kind of very focused episodes rather than the normal format of everyone asking a question. We're going to we're going to f- focus entirely on our guest's question, who has a has a very very good question to throw at us. My question, uh, Howard and Dane, is why are we so fascinated with true crime? Oh, and it's a subject that, you know what, a lot of our listeners will be true crime fanatics. But obviously, it's you know, there's there's, there's the kind of an obsession we have through television. Right. But then also it's it's we've always been obsessed with true crime. It's the most popular bit of news in a way, isn't it? In a really weird Our way. Actually, like, yeah, I think it's uh, probably the, I know, I'm, and maybe that's one of the reasons why is that it's one of the only instances whereby you can look at something factual, factual, sorry. And it's a. Uh, can still appear very much stylized if you're detached from the event. But it's such a good point because to be honest mm-hmm. with you, it's like when I started doing a podcast, I'm kind of like, well, I mean, we ain't really doing true crime numbers. So because like, yeah, people have this real uh, voyeuristic obsession with true crime. And um, you don't just see, and I, like I said, I, I see it in podcasts, a lot of popular and prevalent podcasts, version of true crime. I would argue that as well as just the volume of content, one of the reasons that, uh, Netflix has become so successful as a streaming site is that it's had a large focus on uh, documentaries about true crime as well. Um, and also you could argue, you know, being that hip hop is the most uh, influential music genre in the world, um, a large amount of their narrative focuses on chronicling true crimes committed by 
artists or at least given a journalistic uh, account of crimes they may have witnessed. So lots of fashion society. Are you are you a true crime fan, Ninka? I am potentially the biggest true crime fan. Um, since I was a kid, though, like even, you know, I, I'm talking when you're driving in the car and you're in the back and your mum's driving and you, you go past an accident and you're, and you're there staring out the window trying to catch a glimpse, you know, on the motorway before you zoom past. I mean, even the, the way that we document trials and the way that the media works and all of that to the, the podcast and to the true crime documentaries and books. And I run my own um, true crime YouTube where I talk about um, bits and bobs that have happened as well. And honestly, the at first I thought that it was just like, you know, like a, a, a British thing that you hmm. know, we, we love a little crimes that shook Britain. But then I realized, especially we've got serial, the podcast and you've got, you know, I follow like loads of court kind of um, Twitters and that it, it is a worldwide, you know, that's that even if you look at, the um, kind of like charity events that happen, a lot of them revolve around like crime. Look at Crime Watch. Look at the numbers of that, that did yeah. back in the 90s. Yeah, oh, oh, America's Most Wanted was a massive phenomenon as well. Cops as well. Cops. To Catch a Predator. Border Force as well. Yep. Yeah. And Police Stop. Police Stop is another one as well. Yeah. Yinka, what was the thing that got you hooked? Was there a particular thing that recently in the last kind of true crime? Oh, I want to ask before you answer that question, Yinka, who was your first, yeah. who's your yeah. favourite serial killer? Oh, is there favorite. You know, a favourite? Because I think some people might. No, 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 no. I've got a favourite. I can tell you who mine is very quickly. But anyway. Who's my favourite, Howard? Oh, the Zodiac is the fucking that that film is that film is amazing. I think. And oh, the letter was you. so contrived, though. <laughs> That's what I was about to say, Howard. Why is he your favourite? <laughs> <laughs> I. I just think that's an incredible thing to have done. He made it, he was like social mediaing, murdering people yeah. in the seventies. It's like, I thought he was an incredible story. And also you've got Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr. And Jake Gyllenhaal in one film. It that's really good, is a great it? film. That, that, that is a great film. I think for me, my actual, one of my favorites and part of the reason why I've got into true crime recently, the, the story is a little bit intertwined. So, um, I used to work in a pub and it was very boring and I, I used to read a lot and my mate got me a Kindle and I kind of just like went through loads and loads of books and was just reading them. And it got to the point where I got a bit bored of stories. So I started reading um, like non-fiction books and there's a, a crime writer called Anne Rule and she had written a book and I hope I get the title right. I think it's called The Stranger Beside Me. I think that's what her book's called. And she used to work in a call centre with none other than Ted Bundy. That was her mate. He was a good friend. And he used to work on the Samaritans or the Suicide or something hotline. And she was his mate. Like, as in, she's like, yeah, Ted, Teddy. Like, the way she talks about him. He's like, Carol from Accountant's a bitch. Someone should kill her, Ted, huh? <laughs> <laughs> huh? Uh, yes, another biscuit. And then, <laughs> when he like got caught and he's in prison, like, and all this stuff, he's ringing her, like, oh, and babes, it ain't me. Like, Honestly, they've got the wrong guy. And she's like, you're right, Ted. I know you. I've known you for years. And she's there on his side until she goes to court one day. And, you know, they're like, yeah, he might have eaten this person. And like, yeah, you know, he definitely like killed three people in one day. Because there's this one day, like one of his peak um, days of killing is that he, I think it was two women in a, it was like a Labor Day weekend or something like that in, in America. And there were thousands and thousands of people in the park. And imagine the bus guys were having a nice little picnic by the lake. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go toilet. And I never return. And he did that twice in one day. Like he killed, took somebody, killed them, came back and did it again. 
And only when they're at court anyway, Anne was like, oh my God, my mate's a killer. Let me, let me, let me block his number still. Yeah. In those, in those days it was. Yeah. That, that's how I got into true crime recently. Oh, cool. So, so it's quite a recent thing for you. Well, in the last like five yeah, years. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've always like enjoyed a little bit of, uh, Britain's most evil killers on mm-hmm. on the, the investigation network and that and I love a bit of Judge Judy. But my um, favorite show is Judge Judy. That's how much you love discipline. I never never catch him watching anything like saucy. It's like ooh, Judge Judy is telling people they're stupid. I mean, this Judy is a legend. He is a real legend, to be fair. <laughs> but um, but 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 was there a, a serial killer you particularly loved, or a, or a kind of true crime thing that particularly got you kind of hooked again, Yinka, or? Uh... I think it was um, listening to Serial, the um, the podcast, Oof. you know, because that's, that's was that the first ever podcast? I don't know. Not no, ever. but it was the first true crime one that really got people sucked in. Yeah, so that listening to that really made me think. Oh, because I I just I love reading and I like learning things. So that kind of like really enthralled me, and it, it encouraged me to do my own research, and it encouraged me to like find out more and more and more. And um, with the rise and rise of podcasts over the last few years, there are some sick true crime ones that, you know, some of them are funny, some of them are really serious, some of them are a bit scary, some of them are short form, some of them are long form. I think I would say that one of the um, cases that for me really kind of piqued my interest in true crime of recent years I think it's like, it was a podcast called The Teacher's Pet. It's out of like Australia. And I think it's hosted by a dude called Henley or something like that. And um, basically this woman, yeah, she went missing in like 1981. Yeah, one day her mum rang her. She's got two kids. She's like 29 or something. Yeah, she's married. Her mum's like, oh, you're right there. She's like, oh yeah, my husband made me a lovely drink. She's a bit sloshed, yeah. And she's never heard from again. Her name's Lynette. Her husband definitely killed her and put her under the pool. And like this podcast, it's like uh, 10 episodes or something like that long. And... But but when he started it, the police weren't looking into anything. And as the podcast started growing and people in Australia started listening to it, the police reopened the investigation. My man, Chris Dawson's been arrested in in the charges. And it's that thing of it really making a difference because I think with true crime, for me, it's like the fascinating and horrific things people do to each other. It's the psychology behind it. But reporting on it and, you know, missing cases or unsolved cases and the person who has the interest in it making a difference... Mm. That is that's insane to yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, I was, was going to think what, what's the part, what aspect of the whole, I guess, uh, paradigm of like true crime you enjoy the most? And is, is that is that a part of it? Is the fact that opening the cases actually causes cases to be reopened and investigated? Is that what does it feel? I think also like I, I'm the annoying type of person who really struggles to understand when people are violent and people um do horrible things to each other. It's weird because throughout my life, you know, I've, I've grown up in areas that can be deemed as violent and, and I've experienced I, violence. I get it. Can life. I say, because the reason why I ask about the favorite serial killer stuff is because I, after my like, first bad breakup was when I started getting into serial killers. Which is probably a very extreme and dramatic way to deal with it. Sorry, Yinka's gone. Yinka just left the show there, is that? I'm someone that likes to work and like like work things out. And I guess what were normally the typical reasons for a relationship ending, whether it's like infidelity or like, you know, aggression or insulting, wasn't really the reason. So I'm always kind of like, why would someone hurt somebody with no reason to do so? And then as you begin on that rabbit hole, and they said, I was was more like looking at like heartbreak, and then that became looking at sociopathy and then looking at like, yeah, um, psycho uh, being a, being like a psychopath and stuff like that as well. So it was kind of like, what can cause somebody to have no love in their heart, kind of thing. Which again, I said dramatic. However, 
No, but I hear you though. I hear, I, I see it. You want to know at the quantum of like someone's emotional complex, what starts off the them to be like, I'm going to do yeah, something. And, something. And, and it's, it's, the, it's the age old argument. Like, are they bad or are they mad? It's that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. That's that. So, it's so weird because, you know, I do consume a lot of true crime. And yes, you've got your extremely famous ones like the Ted Bundys and, and you know, the, uh, like, you Jeffrey know, the, Dama, and Ed you've got the, Ed the bomber guy and all this stuff. But even just down to like, you know, your everyday run of the mill murder, right? It's like, what, like for me, if somebody is deemed to be a psychopath, yeah, they're actually deemed to be bad. Yeah, so they're, they're bad people. But it's like, are they not also a bit mad? Are they not also? Well, this is the thing, is, and this is the thing. This is just a bio- This is like that's the kind of biological argument for it. Is that like people believe like you know being able to play empathy or care for another person or even the just perform- performative aspects of like what would be love or affection? They are supposed to begin in your brain with like chemical releases and forms and stuff like yeah. that. But if you grow up in an environment where you don't have any situation where you get to create those centers in your brain or stimulate those centers in your brain as you get older, they don't really form. So exactly. you're not in a situation where people, are, anyone cares about you. You will not learn a concept of sympathy or empathy because you've not seen it before repeated in the same way that like, if you come from a broken home, it's, you're more likely to end up in being divorced because you've not really seen the aesthetic of a stable family. So it's the same thing as that. It was kind of like, like for example, the commonality I found when I was looking at true crime or like serial killers is that everyone had a very poor, strange relationship with their parents. So, yeah. You know, for a lot, I think it was, I never was Ted Bundy, but it might have been a Ed Gein where it was like, um, he killed prostitutes that looked like his mom. Oh, uh, that's Ed. That's Ed, right? Yeah. So he'd kill the women that he'd kill would resemble his own mother. So, so a lot of time, or even like, you know, the original film, like Psycho, is about Norman Bates' relationship with his mother and stuff as well. So. Yeah, and even if you look at somebody like John Wayne Gacy, who, you know, was the, uh, he's the, the clown. Yeah, the clown, yeah. That, um, it's based on kind of, yeah, yeah, that um, and even the American Horror Story. Um, yeah. I think it might be season four. I think, um, yeah. or he's definitely in the hotel. Um, where he, it was just that the nature of his victim was very telling of the underlying conditions that he had. But you know, th- yeah. those yes are definitely the general rules, and you do have you know even be it the Unabomber who who has these ideals and who, who they have their their manifestos and their their thoughts and. They're, they're very much blinkered and driven. Yeah. But then you have other killers who are just, they just, they just kill their whole family. Like Chris Watts, for instance. Mm-hmm. And um, that's like the new um, show on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. He just, uh, yeah, man. I mean, and, and that's the thing as well is that is, is would that be the, historically people describe it, describe it as um, crime of passion. Mm. But then, but then what he did afterwards would argue is premeditated. So yeah, how, yeah. how do you go from being this doting father and, and husband to your emotions raised to the point where you commit an act of violence and to your family? But then after that happens, you're you're looking for them. Yeah, you don't look for them. Or your brain your brain doesn't rationalize that like no. you know you should be punished for your your crime because if someone else had done that to your family, you'd want them to be punished. But it's like but the thing that also comes to mind for me, uh, you know, just going back to the central question: why do we? Why are we also fascinated by it? Right? Is I, I think it, it it's just the fact that if you if you go back over a lot of uh, culture, uh, artistic culture, the who done it. Mm. Is such a kind of old school thing, right? Like, I think isn't it the first play 
that's, that's still, I think it's still running called the mouse trap that's been running. We're not running at the moment, but it's been running for, you know, centuries. Yeah. Is a whodunit. Whodunits, uh, are, you know, Agatha Christie, Columbo. You know, remember all those shows, uh, Murder, She Some Wrote? Murders. Yeah. Murder, She Wrote's the one for me. I mean, I remember yeah. just feeling that. So all of that stuff we lived through uh, and just accepted as a thing. And then, and then you see, somehow we've, a younger generation has been connected to whodunits through these documentaries that are just so... I mean, I don't know. Where do you guys stand on making a murderer? I know a lot of people who give that a lot of shit because it doesn't um, deliver a, a, it a verdict. It could, it could have been two episodes, you know? It didn't have to be 20. Um, I, I thought like they definitely they definitely milked that one a little bit. Um, I, I For making a murderer, I already knew the story. I'd already researched it. I'd already kind of got into the crux of the issue quite quickly. I don't, so when it came, I, I, I stopped watching it because I was just, like you said, for the reasons that I felt like it was becoming so drawn out. Uh, yeah. uh, are the Avery still in prison? Yeah. Oh, come on, buddy. Even, I think Brendan's still locked up as well. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, I think that he, they should maybe let him out though because um, I definitely feel like coerced is a really nice word to use for that confession and absolutely. it's been very right. I mean, what I, they did to him. I, really, I think you're really dying in their back by you saying coercion because I feel like, you know, that kid, he would not be able to pass the first grade, much less be capable of doing that. But don't you, think, don't you think it's just weird how we've gone from, like, you know, Murder, She Wrote, you know, like, what? To like, to, like, making a murderer. That's just a crazy cultural but, shift, but, right? But I, was, oh, I think it's just how our palettes have changed. I think, you know, the whodunits kind of the suspense was the big part of the hook. I think you know, if you're dealing with a new demographic and just dealing with just uh, consumers of media in general, it's not enough to just have the flashback where she goes, and then you administered the poison and then we didn't find it too late. And that's all she has to do. And then the woman just yeah. says, I gave that man the best 10 years of my life for him to cut me out the will. All she has to do is a flashback and they confess. It's like, there don't be any evidence. Don't say anything. Your lawyer's not even there yet. But I think what's happened now is that where, you know, TV in general has kind of changed and evolved, you know, because you've got box sets and stuff. I think now, Howard, your whodunits have to come with that kind of stylized violence and that ongoing suspense and what more graphic detail about the gore and these acts because... But what's more shocking than it being real life as well? Like, what's the, the big... Hook. Yeah, exactly. Like, based on a true story, whenever you see a film based on a true story, you do, you do a little extra, hmm, okay. When you're in the cinema, it's mm-hmm. and it gives them so much artistic license as well. But when you talk about true crime, are you just is that normally included in the extre- extremities of like murder or is true crime like do you like like mafia? Sorry about that, the mafia organized crime kind of thing. Well, I, I think I think I, I gear towards the the murder, the the serial killer, the crimes of passion, the. I think, yeah, more than organised in terms of my particular tastes and, and my um, consumption of true crime. But I just, but I, and I think, you know, especially what you were saying, Dane, about audiences evolving and us having more robust palettes, you know, it's not about just having a chip now. We need it to be triple fried. Yeah, exactly. With the, with the aioli and the ketchup as well. Yeah, exactly. And you need to put some parsley on that bad boy. Okay. Like that's the, our, our palette for for violence, our palette for for um, excitement is beyond a flashback from, from Love Almost Jessica. Sex, from and sexy violence as well. It's like sexy violence. It's like, he stalked the girl. She was 19 years old and just freshman at college. You can tell she doesn't even have a bra in this picture. But what? <laughs> you know, flash wipe to red. All of a sudden, 
But it's true though. It's but like and like you said, you know, films and stuff that are based on true stories are much more likely to get the time of day from me because it really does boil down to like the things that people do to each other. You know, of course, you know, we've all seen crimes like seen photos. We've we've all kind of heard the story. Somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody that something's happened to. But you know, I listen to this podcast called Court Junkie, yeah, and she um her name's Gillian, right? And she plays you actual audio from the court and listening to people and like interrogations and people confessing or people denying it. And when you're listening, it's like even just the court system and the way that's set up and the way that, you know, a murderer can get off yeah, because the police forgot to read them a particular right. And all these sort of things, I think it all boils down to forgive me because I know it's people's lives, but juicy content. Like I'm in my house and I'm listening and I'm like, Oh shit. Someone's in her house. This is crazy. And it's like, but this happened to somebody. It's that thrill that, you know, like it's the point of horror movies. It's the point of thrillers. Exactly. It's, the point- like, it's, the same. it's the point. Yeah. Is, is that, and I, I think that's what you're going to say as well is that, and also it's, and I think it's, it's, uh, there's an escapism in it. Especially if, if you're mm. someone who has like a sociological interest in just humans behavior towards each other. Like how do you go from harmony to hostility? Sometimes it's a way of being like, you might not be able to concept like in your own head. Like, I can't imagine just going to kill some a random. I don't know. And then, having to murder them with a blunt instrument and, you know, hearing someone, your head can't get around it. But there are people that their complex has normalised that, whether it's, the, you know, part of their brain being uh, psychotic or having a psychosis, they can normalise that. And it's almost if, because you're not experiencing it, it's, it's like I said, there's a, a human there's a human fascination with it. It's like, how can someone do that? Like, And I've I got a theory behind it is that, like, maybe biologically as well, you know, human beings are supposed to be at the apex of us, our evolutionary chain from being, like, single-celled organisms to now, right? We've gone mm. through the stages of being like, you know, whether it's sharks and primates or just so at some so I think maybe it's coded in our DNA. There's certain elements of predatory of a predatory nature that probably allowed us to get to this point of being apex predators within our ecosystem. And sometimes those things kind of switch on because I guess most other most other organisms don't really kill for, you know, the sake of they kill, you know, for the sake of survival, right? Most other animals. Mm-hmm. Human beings are the animals you normally see killing for monetary gain or for emotion, you know, and it may not, it might, and it just might just be a natural darker part of our nature where bloodletting is, or, or even, you know, socially or culturally, and even though evolution, you know, evolution is a millionaire process. There's, there's parts of us where there are times in our society where even though we look at this stuff as true crime now, there's parts of our mm. society whereby, for example, spousal or domestic violence that could have led to death wouldn't be a crime you get punished for. Yeah. So, that's probably contributed to like how, you know, this kind of still continues. Also, I guess we, uh, you know, ritualistically have been involved in bloodletting, whether it was like we used to do bloodletting for medical purposes or people used to do it as rituals to like um, deities and stuff. And maybe that's still part of our thing because, you know, the horror film was an interesting one because. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot of time it's a part of uh, encouraging abstinence. And it's part of this whole propaganda thing whereby it's like, if you look at horror films, very similar to like true crime depictions where it's normally like a predator stalking a young, attractive woman. Um, yeah. For a large part of it, kind of it has has helped to reinforce patriarchy. Where it's like if you're a woman and you go and have sex when you decide by yourself with a guy without being married, then someone can murder you, and it's okay because you were the kid that was out in the field having sex, and that's supposed, you know. So yeah. you'll be actually less inclined to indulge in your own independence if you think there's a true threat. So it can be an effective tool in that respect. But I think it's like you said, it's it's like there's a is. I think because you're initially weaned on the uh, embellishment of these things, for example, like, you know, you spoke about, like, John Wayne Gacy. I feel like... Cause it was Ed Guyner used to do just the, uh, the, the skinning. So yes. Ed Guyner, too. John Wayne Gacy, he um, killed he, boys. He killed boys, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he um, he's the one that you should dress up as a That's clown. Because John Wayne... Because, yeah, John Wayne Gacy is who it is based on by Stephen King. And, yeah. and uh, Ed Guyner is who Buffalo Bill is based on in Silence of the Lambs. So, but yes. I probably heard of those films first before I heard of the killers, their actual names. And I think sometimes we've had this embellishment of stylized violence and whodunits and like these thrillers and these gory thrillers. And they have allowed our palette to become more broad into this being this whole true crime thing being sensationalized. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I think that I think it's the way you speak about the victims as well is something that really, really um like draws me in because you know there's no coincidence in in my <laughs> extremely uneducated opinion there's no coincidence that you know that sex workers for instance are um the the victim of choice for well, a lot of, of uh, people, a lot of and it's because you know they're the right and i say that with the biggest bunny ears um, type of victim because it's like their lifestyle does leave them more at risk. And it's like, you know, if you look at from the Yorkshire Ripper to Jack the Ripper, if you look at so many different types of killers, it will be sex workers that they are, um, they're, they're honed in on because they're not necessarily going to be um, re- uh, investigated as much as if it was a lovely And also it led, it led to the whole pop- patriarchal and abstinence of women thing where it's like, you're, you're, if you're a woman, you're, you can be better at the stake or if you are normally the first victims of like killers in horror films are young, sexually active women. And so maybe that contributes to forming the complex of these killers as well is that when they do get to the point where like I the world is impure and I need to kill people to purify it, they're going to go to, yeah, the world of vice normally. Because even if you look at like school massacres and stuff, it's like when you find that these guys have had, you know, been gorging themselves on religious uh, rhetoric and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, but you never go and shoot up a, a, a brothel or a prostitution or like a child trafficking ring. You never go and shoot up a casino. You never go and shoot up like, you know, a trap house. How can we always end up shooting like a school or something? It's very strange that you could go to the quantum of like criminality. You're never there. So it's always, they always go for these very easy victims. So it's a weird thing. And also the thing about the victim is such a valid point because I think normally in the part of when they put together this whole aesthetic of true crime, the victim takes really low status actually. This is, this is part of the reason yes. why because I'm even when because even when with the whole Stephen Avery thing like we're making a murderer I'm like when I first watched it this is injustice how could this happen Brendan didn't do anything he's too dumb 
And then, and then when they were talking about mm-hmm. it, it like they wanted to reopen the case and then the family were opposing it. And in my head, I'm like, what's wrong with this family? We're trying to get to the truth. But... But I've got a question for you. Do you know what the what the girl's name is who died? That's what I'm saying. I, I know her face. But it's even like, I used, to do a, I used to do a joke on stage when I used to talk about um, Oscar Pistorius. And people would be like, you can't do that. It's too soon. And I'd be like, cool. What was his victim's name? And they'd be like... Like even three, three. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, but you don't remember because, and, and the thing is, it's like I, I remember being towards the family. Like, why did they not want to get to the bottom of what happened to their daughter? And it's like maybe listening to the nuances of your child's brutal torture and rape prior to their murder is not something you want to necessarily hear again. In the same way that no one's, just, you know what I mean? It's like everyone with a sex tape has a parent who also has the internet. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, I just I think that like um, Oscar Pistorius's girlfriend name was uh, Reva Steenkamp, oh. but like. I, but I care about the victims, and I, and I. But I think as well, like people who do perpetrate these crimes, be it you know Oscar Pistorius, be it Peter Sutcliffe, be it Dev in the new um, ITV drama that's really really good, by the way. Um, like the 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 killers are the ones who are are revered. They're the ones who become superstars. They're, They're the ones. Yeah, so it's like even with massacres. So say not to mention the people that do the when they do like the kid with uh, the Georgia Tech kid. They're like you're not supposed to mention their names because you lionize them. Or oh, you see recently. With the, yeah, he said recently as yeah. well. That kid, uh, Carl Wilson, the kid who did did, did a shooting in in America recently. He drove to Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, that is so crazy. I find it so mad. Uh, Yinka, have you ever? Um... Uh, I'm depending. Killed, killed, killed anybody? Yeah, no, <laughs> that would be an amazing episode. We this would be the most downloads we'd ever have if you if you have and you want to admit it now. But don't yeah. don't admit that. Um, no, I was going to say, have you ever tried to kind of solve a, a, a crime, like a true crime thing? I. Yeah, I, I tried. I tried. Like, there's there's a miss. There's a missing persons case um, that I covered in my most recent um, upload on YouTube, and it's a story of a guy who um, actually worked on The Voice UK and the TV show, and his name uh, is Terence Woods, and he. Um, I'll give you like a quick a quick overview of his story. So, two years ago in October 2018, he uh, went with the Discovery Channel to uh, Idaho in uh, the USA and they were filming for the new series of Gold Rush which is in the abandoned mines in in a remote part of of the um of the state and it the, the town that they were next to only has like 250 people living there so it's super 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 tiny everyone's cousins and um they yeah they live in a very very remote place and he's gone there with like 10 other people and obviously it's freelance so he doesn't necessarily know everyone really well i think he'd met a couple of people doing odd jobs like around he's originally from new york but he was living in london he was there he was meant to be there for i think two weeks after a few days he like texted his dad and was like i'm coming home early yeah his dad's like why he never replied then one day on the 5th of october it's 5 30 and they've been filming the whole day this is the story that these people gave the police yeah it's filming, they've stopped filming. This guy yeah, is standing there, right, on a, like a mountain or a cliff. Apparently, Terence drops his radio and runs. And he's never Not runs again. off the cliff, just runs into the wilderness. He runs like down a hill or off a cliff. We're not entirely sure, yeah, but he runs. And he runs like down a steep hill, cliffy type thing. Um, onto like the embankment bit and he goes into the woods and he's, there's no sign of him again. They never find any any scent of him when they bring dogs. They never find any clothing. They don't find a body. They don't find any broken bramble, nothing to indicate that he had run away, nothing to indicate where he had gone. Obviously he's in an abandoned mine town. So there are abandoned houses, there are ditches, there are, there are no things that have been built but then left over years. And they looked for him for a couple of days 
They were like, oh, we can't find him. He, he, he just ran away into the woods. Oh, that's it. That's the end of that. And like, I, I spoke to like his dad. I spoke to people who knew him and trying to get like, more information out of it. And it just feels like the fishiest thing. Because Is he black? He's black. And everyone else, everyone else was white. Yinka. And did you say Idaho? Idaho. Nah, man. I think we know exactly what happened here. Like, and yeah. it's just like, and in speaking to people who knew him, that like, people from the UK, people who like I've met, who like obviously the production company, they're still functioning, they're still rocking around producing shows. I mean, the fact that this has not been really pre- made mainstream media, considering he was involved in the television producer and in on the Voice. Now, if he'd been caught selling drugs, we'd know who he is. Nah, that's a madness. And Terence gone like there's no there's nothing and I said but the thing is even if yeah apparently he was being really quiet the day he went missing according to these random people like apparently whatever but my thing is that even if he ran into the woods yeah and like passed away you can't hide your own body no and the thing is I've known people in television who worked with the guy and um they all you know the people I've spoken to are like they they don't understand it you know they're like as in like him him being I think we can all agree we've met some very unpredictable people in the media world who you would hear some stories about disappearance and kind of go, well, I kind of not that surprised. But from what I understand, he is not one of those people. No, yeah. From the people that I, I've, I've spoken to in the last week or so who knew him, they are like, this is so ridiculous. And even, oh my God, I found. I want to cite a precedent of an instance of where a, another Briton went missing in a foreign territory. And when she was reported missing, the deputy prime minister called her parents to console them. So it seems very strange that in a completely English-speaking country with which we are very closely aligned as nations, a someone as prolific as a TV presenter could go missing and leave no trace, and no deputy prime minister called then, and none of our officers are sent over there to do a superior investigation to this very small town's uh, investigators. But we did with Madeleine McCann, uh, how uh, is that a case that you have uh, studied? <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, I um I think Madeline, like you know, God God rest her. But, um, but I even when I was watching the documentary on Netflix, it it, it was more like a like a like a come and visit Portugal uh, um type of show. I I feel like like a dark tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Mad- Madeline McCann is just a case that um. It's one of those phenomenons, I think. It's one of those cases that I think, oh, because, you know, you think of um, Victoria Colombe and you think of, you know... Tony Tony and Byfield. Do you know what I mean? And and you think of these cases where there has been... Baby P. Yeah, and you you think of things where it's like there are children whose whose names... Or even um, Hannah Foster, who, um, you know, her killer ran away to India and then her parents went and got in, boy. Like, and you think of her, and I think that is money well spent. Like, you actually did your job and you brought that person home or to justice or whatever it may be. And then, you know, you have other cases where, you know, only in 2020 were we going to get somebody saying that they, they they knew where Madeline was because this year is the year the aliens are going to come for us. So it's just that thing of, I, I think it's that case of, um, you know, the, the Black Dahlia. I think it's the case of, like, something that's never, I don't think it's going to be solved. I don't, I don't think, you know, like that, it's like, are we I really going to... I don't think it even matters now. I don't think it matters. It's, it's one of these things where I don't think people, the resolution does not come from, uh, sort of finding, finding the, 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 
it's, it's, it's almost like a political killing because a lot of people say that that's the reason why Maura Henley still in pri- was still in prison was, uh, even though she was like more of an accessory to the crimes it's like they can't, yeah. they can't release her for political reasons but um but I think it's important because um you know uh, well we would have we would have had Yinka on the show anytime but um you have a really incredible project uh that we mentioned at the top of the show uh coming out on channel four and uh obviously uh, you can watch it live, but obviously on on demand, which is what a lot of us do now. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I mean, uh, I don't know if you want to tell the audience a little bit about it now, and and we can discuss it because I know Dane, uh, it's important to you uh, too. Uh, yeah, so I uh, have teamed up with Channel Four to tell the story of um, one of my childhood best friends because twenty years ago, uh, this week, Damalola Taylor was murdered, and he was my neighbour. So. Uh, I'm kind of going back to where I grew up. I am speaking to people who I knew and loved and and played with. I'm trying to investigate, not necessarily his killing and his slaying and and the people that did it, but trying to paint a picture of of who he was as a person. Because I think when I say the name Damalola Taylor, potentially everybody listening knows exactly who I'm talking about. You know, you probably have a recall to the picture of him half smiling in that burgundy jumper and that was plastered all over the the red tops and all over the news and I think that there's an inevitability of a victim that comes with him and his story you know he moved from Nigeria he moved to the hell and the arse crack that is Peckham of London and then we killed him and that's kind of what um has been perpetuated for the last couple of decades and it's just me revisiting the story and me trying to explain it from a point of view that I'm not sure that a documentary has done about mm. a domestic. Because on that on that night on, on that note, do you like feel and because you we did the, you did the comparison of Victoria Klimbier versus a Madeleine McCann? Because I don't think a lot of people know about Victoria Klimbier and the fact that her and Tony Ann Byfield as well. Because one of the very unique uh, aspects of both of those cases were that these were these are for those people that might not know these are examples of infanticide two young girls who were killed in a household as a result of ongoing abuse and domestic violence, mm-hmm. which wasn't actually done by members of their family. So Victoria Kimbe was not even being looked over by her biological parents. No, it was like a random auntie. Right, random, right. A random auntie. And, you know, for certain aspects of continental African culture, an auntie doesn't necessarily mean that your mum's sister either. But, mm. Yeah, it's kind of a random thing. Um, so what, I only said that to say this. Do you feel, uh, historically, the story of Damiola has Damiola has been covered in the same way that, like, James Bolger's case was covered? This this is the thing. It's that like I don't want to conflate my grief or my loss with with other people's grief and loss. I don't think that one child dying is more important than another child dying, and I don't think that um, you know one story deserves more coverage than the other. What I will say is that I think Damalola Taylor's story stands out the same way that a Sarah Payne, a Holly and Jessica, a Tia Sharp, a James Bolger, the way these cases stand out because they are particularly horrific, be it the, the age and uh, of the victim or the nature of, and, of them and being the age killed. of the perpetrators in some cases as well. And the age, yeah, yeah, so the age of the perpetrators in Dami's case. I think that, you know, I'm not saying that in the last 20 years I wanted to be on this morning couch every November. I'm not saying that, you know, I would be willing and and able to give interviews to that um, Donald McIntyre every time he wants to do a crime that should be in on CSI or whatever it may be, the Crime and Investigation Network. What I am saying is that I am not convinced that Dami's story of him being a child, of him existing and being a human being before he was killed, has been pushed to, to the mainstream. I think that enough time has passed for there to be enough distance and people's lives to be different now 
than they were 20 years ago to really put in perspective that this happened. But, you know, um, I, I know so many kind of um, domestic crimes involving children that receive nationwide attention long after they've happened because of, and I, and I, and I don't know, um, Dami's hasn't. It's just, he came from Nigeria, the people in Peckham killed him and boy, don't go there. And then they, then they continue. Well, and it comes down to, it comes down to this really, in some respects, the attitudes and racism that when it happened at the time, I think a lot of people, uh, I mean, in the, in the mainstream conscious of this country would have thought that we weren't very racist still, yeah. or not as racist as we, I'm saying Dane, I can see Dane's well, no, no, face. I, I, I'm not I, I, saying I, I, that. We, we, but it's, yeah, it's definitely based yeah. on what Yinka was saying as well, is that like, we'd say that, you know, the fact that there was an outpouring of grief, but it's like, uh, you can say in the same way that we kind of lionize killers in some instances, it's almost as if we kind of, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Well, it's like martyrdom. It's like he more died for a story, more for the sake of a story or a narrative rather than looking at his individual life. Because if you look at uh, like the kid, uh, Reese James, who was, who was yeah. shot. And then the, one of the kids that shot him, his mother hid the gun for him. And uh, again, it's like there, there didn't seem to be like a larger condemnation of any culture within that particular area of Merseyside or you know, considering he was shot, there was no look at like urban youth violence amongst working class white men in the same way that like, you know, someone gets killed on North Peckham estate. Well, they demolished the whole estate. Well, and um, they were going to knock it down anyway, but it definitely but, yeah, but, 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 they, but then they could knock it down and justify displacing the former residents though. Yeah, oh, they, they, oh, they, they called it decanting. Like your bottle of Kavassi. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a wine. Right? Yeah, that's great. Oh, but, um, but yeah, it's just this sort of thing of um, you know, I I feel like it's so it's so weird to be in this position because obviously I'm in a I'm in an industry. I work in a job that is forward facing and it, and, it, and it's in the public domain. So I don't I genuinely don't think that there's anybody who's more qualified to tell this story than I am because a I have a voice and I'm actually able to speak publicly. But B, it's, it's like, it's my life. Yeah, it's actually life. what happened exactly, to me. Yeah. So in it is, you know, it's it's my sister. It's my childhood best friend. It's people that I grew up with. And I get to meet Grammy's dad for the first time because when he um, passed away, we were told under no uncertain terms to leave his family alone and we weren't allowed to go to the funeral. So it's like... Uh, it's who told, you, who told you that? The like, police and the, the community support people who were um, rocking around. So um, it's, it was just like a lot of... It was very therapeutic to do it and... First film for, for for Channel Four, it was a baptism of fire. Like wow, but but it was definitely something that I hope that people watch it, and I hope that people can just see it for what it is. Because I'm not the sort of person that like I, I find someone like you really brave, Dane. Like the way that you can like say what you mean, and it's like this is what I said. Whereas with me, I'm like, oh, I, I don't want to accuse people of stuff. I don't want to. So the, the way that I kind of try to be assertive is just by presenting people with my version of the truth, presenting people with the facts of what happened. And if you can't draw the conclusion that that it is, if you can't do one plus one and it equals two, then that's, that's a, that's a personal problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's, I think that's, and that's, I guess why I have that kind of breath to be able to say what I want, because I, I guess I'm always trying to approach everything from an artistic perspective. So I know it's always open to subjective interpretation. And if that, if that yeah. conclusion isn't something that someone likes, not really my problem. It's more about evoking the emotion of the discussion in the first place. So I guess that's the way of approaching it. We're, but that, that can be very different when you are dealing with uh, an, a phenomenon that has a lot, that, you know, depends on a lot of uh, historical and factual um, aspects. 
So it's very different because, you know, what you're talking about involves dates and names. And in, you know, this case, you know, people who lost their lives. So there's be a lot more apprehension in terms of how you approach it. Um, so as far as like, definitely we know there's a fascination with true crime. Do you think there are any indicators where this fascination can become unhealthy? Um, you know, obviously, because like I said, there's a very lot more of a graphic nature to when people discuss true crime. Is there a problem that we become desensitized? Is there, you know, the whole thing of copycat killings? Is it, can it be influential for that? Do you think? I think I think when it comes to like true crime in general, of course, there's a thin line between being fascinated and being obsessed. And I and I do think that as a as a as a world, as a generation, I do think that we are desensitized. You know, if you go online, you could see somebody being killed on Twitter with no trigger warning. The videos of especially black bodies um, and bodies of color being slain, being abused, especially now with like NSARS that's trending about Nigeria um, and the brutality that's going on there. At any given moment, you are, you could be subject to images that, you know, will really, really affect you. And let's not forget the fact that George Floyd was killed in front of all of us. And I didn't mean to watch that video. You know, even if we take it, Nipsey Hussle was killed in front of all of us. I didn't mean to watch that video. Uh, XXX Tentacion, he was shot and it was streamed yeah, yeah. live on Black Facebook. I didn't mean to before, watch his video. It, so it's, it's even like, um, like we found out before his family did. Yeah, I mean, it was before it registered. It's that it's that sort of thing of definitely. I think that there is a, a thin line between um, things being a, a curiosity and things being an interest to you um, versus you know the the insatiable need for for blood, so to speak. I think for me personally, um, my fascination with true crime it doesn't actually go hand in hand with the type of content and films that I'm making. It's like the the violence that I've experienced in my life. You know, with my best friend being killed when when he was ten years old that that didn't trigger me to wanting to fight true crime and i'm not batman like i, I i'm i'm not uh, it didn't like ignite this this fire in me to want to right the wrongs of the world it's kind of like i i can compartmentalize and be like i don't want to think about the people that i know who who have died i i am from peckham and and you know not to say that the that the the, the way we've been tarred and feathered is completely accurate but I think it, it was a violent place, and I actually existed during the time when Blue Story. So I was tell people, and I was in SE thirteen, you know. So SE fifteen, we we could each other. That being that said, I, I did no, real. I did go down by North Peckham Estate because I wanted it to be very clear that I am not about the uh, girl you life. Yeah, it says, but that it was real. At, and the, it time, was yeah, at the time, yeah, at the time, even and that was one of the parts of the story that I was like, "How is this even happening on the estate?" Because normally it's us that are. So, yep. yeah, but in fact, but my fascination with true crime is, is yeah. outside of that. That's why I try to look at like the crazy things people do to each other. Maybe to try and understand the, the violent place that we live in, the violent place in which I was grew up, which I grew up and the trauma that, and I will say it's trauma that a lot of us experienced on council flats. Something like one in three kids grow up in social housing. So the story that I'm telling um, for Damalola, the boy next door for channel four is not, it's not a, 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 a tale that is isolated, yeah. you know. It's, it's not obscure, is it? It's not no, an obscure thing. No, but I just, that's, I just that's think that, like, that's what I wanted to ask as well because you know, like with true crime, the reason I because we'd mentioned earlier about like chronicling or you know true crime from the perspective of music and stuff. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I feel like you know, as you said, you know, black trauma and our exposure to yeah. true crime is a massively normalised thing. Like, you know, you witnessed a police officer killing a civilian in broad daylight in a supposed civilised Western um, society. You have 
mm-hmm. someone like Terence Wood going to a, a part of America which is known for being uh, distinctly quite racist and disappearing. You know, you look at stuff like, you know, you talk about sex workers being on the front line. You know, there was a police officer called Daniel Holtzclaw, who I think is now doing over 200 years because he raped up to like over 30 black women and no one really cared and raped mm-hmm. and murdered them. You look at the, the cases of like Anthony Walker and you look yeah. at Stephen Lawrence. These are, and, these are examples of truth. Or right. like the fact that, like, you you know, you, I mean, it could, and it could be a part of your impetus to like for the work you do is that you want to exist as an alternative whereby I've not, the, my experience of trauma has not led to me to have been desensitized to violence or committing trauma on other people. But before this shit, you could kill a, could kill a black 10 year old in America or a place like Idaho in the 60s or a 14 year old kid or in the case of Emmett Till. Yeah, I did. You, know, you have, you have friends from prior, yeah. like at fourteen. You watch some, and then, and not only that, not only that, no justice, not even just no justice. The law enforcement institution that exists to protect you from your exposure to these crimes is is working adroitly with the people that are committing these acts. So, how much? And I know we haven't got a lot of time, but like, do you think there's a lot of time apportioned to just at least describing the trauma that Black people experience as true crime? That's why. That's why I'm kind of passionate about what I what I want to do and and the way I want to tell my stories and other people's stories because ultimately I actually think that people are very desensitized to the mutilation and the abuse of black bodies and I don't even say that in a general way like the reason why I wanted to start with Dami is obviously it it means a lot to me and I want to do his family and my family proud. I also want people to know that he's a human being. Like we. It's like that. My our story is people, not a black people story. People talk about like he's a, like a fucking foal, like, like it's like you know what I mean, like Bambi's yeah, mum or something. It's, it's, and this is it. And it's like, but no, no, that's my friend who I saw on the day that he died, and he was fine. Like he was taken. It wasn't inevitability. He wasn't wandering the streets alone with no one who loved him. Like, it's not that. And I think that it's just trying to change the narrative. Like, especially when I started to get into true crime, when I started to produce, because I've only been doing it for like a year, like actually producing my own content, but I've been consuming it for most of my life. And I realized it's an old white man's world. Like the gatekeeping is insane. Like when you put the crime and investigation network on, when you watch these shows, it is the same old dude hosting these shows over and over again. And he's speaking about... You know, like things that have happened as if he's reading from an audiobook. Yeah, and it's like, no, 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 yeah. this is real. So it's like, I want to put a human face to these stories. I want to make sure that our stories are, give, are given the same agency, the same care, the and same we describe it as a true crime, not a fucking article in Black History Month for a little snippet of this was a journey, and then Martin Luther King yeah. and everything, like these sepia tone flashbacks. We have been victims of true crime, and uh, yeah, it's important for people to know about that shit. Well, I I, I imagine uh, this will be uh, one of the first uh, true crime projects that you do on TV, and I'm sure there'll be many more, Yinka. You got you got loads lined up, I assume. Uh, Uh, uh... I don't don't know. I'm going to keep doing the YouTube stuff. I think people kind of know that it's what I want to do now. So hopefully, um, there's definitely more to come, and hopefully, you'll see me before I'm 55. My own show on the crime investigation. I've watched the, the the film, and I have to tell you, listeners. Go go and find it. Um, it's I, I I was just amazed by how um, I don't find true crime particularly emotional or kind of you know I wouldn't even I'd ever call it a true crime thing really. I think it's just a really really beautiful film. Yinka makes you connect with the subject in a way that I don't know if anyone has done before. So um, it needs to be it needs to be done because you know I, I just want to say it's it's great and commendable what you've done as well because 
uh, hopefully, or if not, so do you, could you tell us um, if there's any focus or any journalistic focus other than yourself on true crime when the victims are black people, the diaspora? Uh, no, not that I know of. Not, not that uh, probably, but not that I've. Um, I assume that things exist as a huge world. But well, it pleases me to see the uh, conception of that uh, come from yourself. So we're at ground uh, ground zero when it begins, um, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, I guess bring this back to the end of the episode. So yeah, other than um, the, uh, the documentary, or actually just let us know we can find you the, the details of documentary and also YouTube channel and stuff so that people can start doing some tr- real tr- true crime research. Yeah, so uh, the documentary is of course going to be on Channel 4 this week, um, down below the boy next door, but you can find it on all four as well after Thursday, I think. And um, yeah, and the YouTube is just Yinka Burkini. Um, it's called The Anniversary Patel true crime stories on the anniversary that have been happening and whilst it is like a UK true crime panel I do try to focus on telling the stories of people of colour um, both here and throughout the world just trying to give light to stories that don't necessarily um, get the right amount of attention in my opinion cool amazing and uh, I hope that we've been able to uh, enhance that as well Yinka um, so Yinka I know you work very hard uh, and so need some rest because you uh, for those also who don't know uh, other than you could, you're going to also find you uh, Yinka on Capital Extra with Shayna mm-hmm. so it's, uh, doing the morning show so please do check that out as well and also check out her TED Talk uh, TED Talk X uh, which was recorded in Peckham as well so yeah lots of content Yinka thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and ask the question um yeah get some rest and lord knows you've earned it thank you for having me man. my pleasure have a wonderful day Yinka good luck we'll, we'll see you again soon yes hopefully thank you I really appreciate that you've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything hosted by Dane Baptiste for more from Dane go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danebaptweets or Instagram at danesnaptiste our guest was Yinka Bokini. You can follow Yinka on Twitter and Instagram at Yinka Bokini. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.